Well, tonight we're going to be continuing uh, kind of the look at the attributes of God. And uh, think on the screen behind me is a couple of verses just trying to encourage us to maybe put to memory uh, Romans eleven thirty three to 36. Why don't you read it with me? Oh, the depths and the riches both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. We, uh, we see Paul's uh, just celebration of uh, who God is as he's really walked through uh, many uh, great doctrines and uh, uh, theology the study of God should lead us to doxology, to praise. And um, we are taking just little chunks of uh, this first paragraph uh, because of how much is kind of packed in here. But uh, I want to read the whole paragraph. And again, to kind of put it to our minds, sometimes as we're reading it and you maybe you're hearing it out loud, we're beginning to see maybe some of the ways that they're ordering or they're structuring uh, a paragraph. But look at paragraph one uh, up on the screen. The, the entire paragraph is uh, not on your sheet. It's on the screen. It reads this. The Lord our God is but one only living and true God, whose subsistence is in and of himself, infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory." Most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness and truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him, and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. Tonight we're going to look specifically at... uh, at the lines that say, uh, speak of God, uh, who is immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, every way infinite, most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. You think of how many attributes were listed in just that short time just to kind of think about where we've been uh, we've kind of been uh, challenged to consider the attributes of God and uh, anytime we're trying to study the attributes of God we're, we're trying to sometimes categorize them and uh, often we used uh, like Mr. Fell said last week the the incommunicable and communicable attributes incommunicable means 
Anyone remember? What's that? Only God has them, and he's the only one who ever will have them. Okay. And communicable. Okay. Yeah. And I think what happens sometimes is we draw this hard line that there's communicable and incommunicable. And uh, I I think I I was challenged uh, with Mr. Fell, and I think I was reading uh, in Hodges, uh, talking about how it's almost like this sliding scale. Uh, Because there's in a sense that God uh, has given um, attributes that we possess, but we possess them less or more like him. Um, so on one side of the scale, uh, it's almost all him uh, that possesses those attributes. And on the other side, uh, it is uh, more us completely sharing with him. Just like a spirit. Are we spirit? Yeah. But would God, he fully possesses it, and we only partly possess it. Uh, and, and so we, we kind of see that scale. But again, it's understanding which things are belonging more to him and less to us, which would be the incommunicable, a greater a separation of, of dislikeness, and then the communicable of more likeness. He possesses all of them in absolute perfection. And, and that's one of the things we're going to be reminded this evening. A.W. Tozer has written probably uh, well a couple of books that I might recommend just in thinking about the attributes of God. A.W. Tozer, a two-volume set on the attributes of God. And then A.W. Pink. It must be A.W. Uh, uh, you, you write a book on the attributes of God. But uh, uh, both of those books are, uh, are classics when it comes to the attributes of God. And as... They present the attributes of God. Sometimes they'll use different terminologies. And in using different terminologies, they're not speaking of different attributes. Just sometimes when we talk about uh, uh, that God has, uh, does not have passions, uh, we, we can talk about the, uh, the impassibility of God. And so it's just coming and, and saying the same thing just with different words. One of the things I want us to remember that as we walk through the attributes of God, the attributes of God are intricately connected with one another. We can't just take one of the attributes and clearly define God because that attribute is part of uh, how the other attributes work. Um, so we can't, even as we've seen uh, a couple weeks ago, that God has no parts. That we can't even take one of his attributes and just kind of stand it up by itself. Because that attribute affects his other attributes. When we say that uh, God is almighty, uh, his, uh, his omnipotence is effect, uh, affects his other attributes. That his holiness will affect his justice. His holiness will affect all of these other things. And so they're, they're linked together. So even as we're trying to walk through these attributes of God, um, it's hard not to talk about one of the attributes without keep referring to these other attributes. 
I think as we consider the attributes of God, the moment we put a word to describe God, it is insufficient. Any, any attempt to describe God, we are limiting him. Because he is so much greater than all that we can ever say, do, or think. Now, it doesn't mean we don't try to jot things down and try to uh, put in an in a understandable way as much as humanly uh, um, uh, able to communicate what God is like. It's kind of like the, uh, the hymn, The Love of God. Um, Could we with ink the ocean fill? And if every man were a scribe by trade... Uh, if we could write the lo- uh, could write the, the uh, scroll from I'm trying to translate it, but the whole idea is if the whole ocean was ink, if every person was writing, and if the the scroll went from sky to sky, and we wrote and we wrote and wrote on the love of God, the hymn writer says we would drain the ocean dry. And even at that point, we've only scratched the surface on just the attribute of the love of God. And that's what when we talk about the immensity of God um, or the, uh, the transcendence of God or uh, the perfection of God, that as much as we try, we can never fully describe him. And tonight, we, looking through the, this paragraph, we see that he is, first of all, immutable. Immutable means unliable to change. That he is free of change. That he is consistent in all of his actions. That nothing compels God to do anything. Again, we see this in the impassibility of God or uh, even the aseity that God exists in and of himself, that there is nothing outside of him that impacts him. And he does not change. Malachi 3.6, I, the Lord, do not change. Are you thankful for that? Yeah, there's... Uh, I think it's a, a question I put in the, the study guide. There's kind of a an encouraging side to that truth, but also uh, a side of uh, to remember and maybe conviction that, that God does not change, nor can he change. If he can change, it means he's mutable and therefore not God, that he, he uh, is impacted by things outside of himself. But when we consider this truth that he does not change, that nothing compels God to do anything, we have to put that into every doctrine of life, every doctrine that, of Scripture. And to understand that when we look at the doctrine of election, God is not swayed by us. It is his sovereign will. And that's kind of the end of tonight. We see his absolute free will. Because he is not liable to change and nothing impacts uh, him. Really, this section that we've kind of pulled out, we're looking at kind of the infinity of God. Uh, I think uh, 
Sam Waldron in his exposition kind of takes this section and kind of gives it that title. So we see God is immutable. He does not change. And then immense. When we talk about something that is immense, we're talking about its size. That literally God transcends all space and is not limited. He's not subject to any type of limitations. We may use another word, the transcendence of God. But again, we're talking about space. It's 1 Kings 8.27. You can see it up on the screen behind me. It says, But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Behold, heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple which I have built. We cannot contain God. He transcends his immensity, his size, his vastness, transcends all space. But let me kind of draw a little bit of a distinction here because we talk about the immensity, but the immensity, and sometimes we use a synonym of omnipresence. But there is a slight difference. And I just kind of want to draw this out. Immensity is God uh, spans and is not limited. The omnipresence is that imminence or the presence of God. So it's not just the size of God, but his physical presence. Um, and granted, we're, we're, we're splitting hairs a little bit here. But one is just talking about how we cannot limit God. But then he is not just everywhere, but that he fills every part of space with his entire being. Because that's how the prophet Jeremiah um, recorded God saying in Jeremiah 23, 23, Am I a God near at hand, says the Lord, and not a God afar off? The, the answer is, he's both. That he is present there, and he is present here, and everywhere in between. The omnipresence and the imminence. Uh, very, I mean, they're synonymous, but have a slight difference. That God is both. He is immutable, he is immense, and he is eternal. Psalm 90, verse 2, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. And I've talked with... uh, Mr. Bernard about this a couple times. Because we can understand starting at a point in time and going for all eternity. We can understand a beginning and no end. But where we are so limited is to say that there is no end, but also that there is no beginning to God. He has always existed and that is outside our ability to fully comprehend because we are finite. We have a time and place where we began. And though our souls live forever, we, it, trying to understand the eternality of God is challenging. And when the psalmist writes from everlasting to everlasting, he's talking about from everlasting past to everlasting future, he is God. The more we 
look at the attributes of God, the more it should boggle our minds to understand that he is not like us, that he is so different. And if you think about all of the false gods in this world, it's a God that is somewhat attainable or a God that is just slightly above man. But we see the God of the scriptures. He is a God beyond. And therefore, that's why the confession says, incomprehensible, that we cannot comprehend him. That though we may understand a little sliver, a fraction, there is no way that we can fully understand him. And the beauty of it is, the only way that we are able to even understand that fraction is because he's revealed himself to us. It's not because we have the ability to search out God and and to find him. It's because he made himself revealed to us. He is incomprehensible. Only he himself can understand himself. And then we see Almighty. As Genesis 17, 1 When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. He has absolute unlimited power to do whatsoever his nature determines him to will. We we think of Almighty in human terms, and that's still limited might. But when we're talking about God, there is no limit. That no matter what God does, he never goes, I'm tired. That it's beyond. That there is no limit to his might. And kind of just putting in somewhat a superlative that he is in every way infinite. This is a, one of those adjectives that describes all of his attributes. He is infinitely almighty. He is infinitely incomprehensible. He is infinitely eternal. He is infinitely omnipresent. He is infinitely immense. Are you catching on to that? That it's, it's causing our minds, hopefully, to just stop And praise God. And then they don't just go into the list of, well, he's holy, wise, free, and absolute. They add to that. He's in every way infinite, and he is most holy, most wise, most free, most absolute. Again, I think to cause us not to just kind of check our minds off and to say, okay, yeah. But to be reminded For in the holiness of God, we speak of him being set apart. Holiness can also bring the connotation of absolutely perfect. That there's nothing imperfect about him. That he is most wise. Not just is he 
all-knowing, but the quality of his knowledge is most wise. Romans 16, 27, to God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. 1 Timothy 1, 17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible. Hey, that sounds like a good hymn we should write there. To God alone who is wise. Be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That he is the one who is most wise. And again, this is probably where we're getting more into these communicable attributes. That we possess somewhat. Just like God told the Israelites, and it's repeated in Ephesians 5, Be holy as I am holy. We are called to walk in holiness, but our holiness is infinitesimally fractionalized compared to God's holiness. Our wisdom is so small compared to God's. He is the one who has the most wisdom. And he is most free. Again, this idea that he is free, that he's not bound, it's, it's another aspect. And I was trying to think of how to describe this. And it's as if we're taking a diamond and looking at it. Have you ever really looked close at a diamond? Or any type of gemstone that it's not just this square, but it has all these cuts to it. And the cuts allow the light to radiate. And we're looking at these little facets of the diamond of God. That we're trying to put a picture in. And we're taking this little picture and this little glimpse of God. And it, and it reflects the light of who he is. And as we're building all of these attributes and we're building this picture of God, it should cause it to just dazzle in our minds. Like K. Jewelers, the hearts of Firestone or whatever. But so much greater. But what happens is when we begin to take those attributes of God out, it should dull and make us understand that we're not seeing God for who he really is. When we're just taking the attributes of God that maybe we can kind of get our mind around, we're, we're making a God of our own making. And we're missing his glory and his beauty. But just as those, each of those facets bring light, all of them together show the glory of that diamond. And maybe as somewhat of an illustration, as all illustrations of God fall short, that that would just radiate in our minds. He is most holy, most wise, most free, and most absolute. I didn't quite understand what absolute meant when I was studying this, but uh, uh, Louis Burkhoff in his Systematic Theology says this, um, when absolute is defined as the first cause of all things, or as the ultimate ground of all reality, or as a self-existent being, it can be considered as identical with the God of theology. He is the infinite one who does not exist in any necessary relations because he is self-sufficient. But at the same time, he can freely enter into various relations with his creation as a whole and with his creatures. 
So uh, he's, he's stating that what it means that God is most absolute, that he is the first cause, that he is the, the front. It, again, it, it's tied right there with his immutability. There's nothing that causes him to change. Um, there's nothing that comes before him that causes him to do something. And so this is a, a term that we don't use much in our language. And so I think it's, it's challenging for us to say, okay, what does that mean? Just like the passions last week, that God has no passions. What? And so, again, this was written in 1869. Uh, and is very similar to, I think, uh, 1846 when the uh, Westminster Confession was written. And so many of these uh, phrases uh, come uh, and are shared with the Westminster Confession of Faith. And then the last line we'll look at tonight, and it's just kind of laying a foundation for uh, future weeks, working all things according to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will. Again, his will is characterized by who he is. He is immutable, so therefore his will is immutable, unchangeable. His, he is righteous, so therefore his will is righteous. And we're going to be looking at the idea of his will in uh, a couple weeks, specifically when we kind of look at the decrees of God. But when we understand that he is immutable, therefore his will is immutable, it does not change. When God is not just one or the other of his attributes, he is all of them in absolute perfection in every, every area of every way. And sometimes it feels like, does that even kind of say it well enough? But that's the amazing God we get to see in the scriptures. It's the amazing God that we get to behold in our lives. And that's the amazing God that we get to go to in prayer. Not because of our works, but because of Christ's work. And as again, as we have a bigger view of God, we should be able to come boldly in faith before his throne in prayer. Yes, it should cause us to come with great humility, but also knowing that he is able to do immeasurably beyond all that we can ask or think or imagine according to the power that is work within us. Not because of us, but because of him. And the greatest tragedy we could do is to just make this some intellectual exercise. But it should cause us to say, how does this affect my life today? I encourage you this week even to go back and, and to list the attributes that we've looked at and to say, what does it mean that God is this in my life today? How, how uh, as uh, Francis Schaeffer said, how then shall we live? In light of who God is in this attribute, what does that mean in my life today? Because again, it's not just for us to have head knowledge but it's that the truth of who God is impacts how we live. And it's a blessing that we can truly say, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable 
But what an amazing uh, journey it is to search the unsearchable because he has revealed himself. Let me pray for us as we kind of close this time. Father, uh, every word uh, just trying to put into uh, into sentences to, to describe who you are uh, just feels feeble. Um, but Lord, I thank you that uh, as we study your word, as we see the, the truths of you on the pages, that the Holy Spirit is the one who instructs us, that gives us understanding, and we confess we need that understanding. Lord, not to just fill our minds with truth, uh, but that that truth would cause us to walk as children of light, that the truth of who you are would lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, that the truths of who you are would lead us to our knees in humility, that we would, like Isaiah, say, Woe are we, for we are a people of unclean lips, and our eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. The Lord may it also cause us to praise you in a deeper way, in a more passionate way. And so we ask that you would do this work. Lord, for your name and for your glory's sake, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.